On this episode of Twill, there's a new version of the Cinnamon Desktop. KDE have announced the first beta release of Plasma 6. Kali Linux has their end of the year release out. And there is a new organization to further the development of AI in an open way. All of this and so much more on this episode of This Week in Linux, your source for Linux good news. This episode of Twill is brought to you by Linbit. More on them later. The Linux Mint team have announced the latest release of the Cinnamon desktop with Cinnamon 6.0. The most notable thing about this particular release is the Wayland support. And the most notable thing about that is that it's experimental and you should not use it unless you're comfortable using experimental slash beta software. So if you want to try it out, be sure to uh, let them know about any issues that you experience because, you know, it's experimental slash beta. You're probably going to experience some issues. So let them know about that so they can fix them. And they are working on making this the default in the future. But right now, it's going to be probably a couple years before that happens. Now, I am very excited about the work they're putting towards fractional scaling support in the Wayland version of Cinnamon because fractional scaling is very important for people who have high DPI screens like 2K or more. And the more you high DPI you have, the more problematic it is for the non-fractional scaling support, because it means that you either have a really over, over enlarged, like blown up desktop environment, or you have a super small, hard to see desktop environment. And neither one of those things are ideal, obviously. So I'm really happy they're working on that. But let's talk about what's in the latest release of Cinnamon 6.0 that you can have with the XORG usage. So there's a new sound applet, there's now support for AVIF images. There's a new color picker support, which is nice for anybody who does graphic stuff like I do. Also, there's some new uh, downloadable actions for Nemo. And one thing that I'm really excited for is the new desktop zoom gestures, which is just really cool to see. And if you'd like to check out more what's coming in the Cinnamon 6.0 release, you can find links in the show notes. The KDE community have announced the first beta release of KDE Plasma 6.0. And this is a major milestone for the development of Plasma 6. And I am very excited. I'm a Plasma user, so Plasma 6 is an exciting thing for me. So I can't wait to try this out. Now, for those who are unfamiliar with what's coming in Plasma 6, I'll give you a quick highlight of the features. There's a lot more than this, but let's here's a quick highlight of the big features. And that is acute 6 support. This is being replacing Qt 5, which is the toolkit that KDE uses for their desktop and also their applications. Wayland is going to be set by default. So for those who need XORG, you can still switch back to it, but Wayland by default is really cool and they've been working on a lot of the improvements for support of Wayland. So I am very excited to try that out. Also, they're using a floating panel by default for aesthetics. And speaking of aesthetics, the accent colors that are available throughout the desktop are now being applied to the header bars, which is pretty cool. So the active and inactive windows can be identified through that. And of course, you could choose to change that if you want to, whatever color you want. But also another thing is that they are revamping the task switcher, redesigning it. And also the desktop cube is being returned back to KDE Plasma with Plasma 6. So I'm excited about that. Even though it's not that useful, it's really cool. Also, DoubleClick is going to be used by default for opening applications and files and that sort of stuff. Uh, for those who are not familiar with this, what this means, it's that if you're in a desktop or in a file manager, when you click something once, it selects it. When you double-click it, it opens it. It's kind of how Windows and Mac already are, so I'm really happy to see that switch. Now let's talk about what's coming new for the people who are paying attention because there's some new stuff that came out this week. 
such as the new newly published and recently updated pages for Discover. Also, active windows are highlighted by the accent cutter, like I, like I mentioned. The new grid desktop switcher is now default, and many, many more. Now, if you want to try out this beta release of Plasma 6, there are multiple options. You have KDE Neon, Unstable, Fedora Rawhide, OpenSUSE Krypton, Open Mandriva Cooker, and also a NixOS Flake if you'd like. So I think that the easiest access is probably KDE Neon just or, or OpenSUSE Krypton. So it's really cool that these are options. You can pick whatever distro you want of these this list and try it out. But keep in mind, it is a beta, so there will be issues, and be sure to report them if you run into them. And use this on like a secondary thing. Don't use it in production just yet. I am very tempted to try it in production anyway, but I will stick to my advice and not do that. If you'd like to learn more about the latest release of Plasma 6 and check out the beta release if you would like to, then... Links in the show notes. Kali Linux have announced the end of the year release for this distribution designed for penetration testing with this release of being Kali Linux 2023.4. Now, Kali Linux is based on Debian and it ships with a bunch of pen testing tools. If you're not familiar with what that is, it's also kind of known as hacking. But <laughs> if you're interested in more details about what Kali Linux and how it is and how it works and all that sort of stuff, you can find links in the show notes for more details on that. But let's talk about Kali Linux new features for 2023.4. The new release features are uh, ARM64 images on AWS and Azure. They've added Hyper-V support for Vagrant. Raspberry Pi 5 support, which is really cool. Uh, they've also added GNOME 45, which ships with an updated version of the Kali theme and also quite a few uh, new tools that are added for the penetra penetration testing stuff. So CABI and CTI-Taxi uh, were added for interfacing with the taxi system. Uh, TAXII is what that's related to. EXI Fluter for finding geolocations on images. And also, I really like the name of this project. It's called H8MAIL, or hate mail for OSINT and password breach hunting. Havoc, a post-exploitation command and control framework, has been added. Pass Detective, which scans your shell history for exposed passwords and API keys. Also, Raven was added for HTTP uploads and many, many more. If you'd like to learn more about the latest release of Kali Linux, you'll find links in the show notes. Let's talk about AI, because this is a topic that is very rarely discussed in the news or Twitter or... Anywhere, I'm kidding, it's everywhere. You can't get away from it, including on this show. So let's talk about this new organization that was formed called the Global AI Alliance. And this was formed by many notable companies such as IBM and Red Hat, Meta, which is the Facebook people, uh, Intel, Oracle, NASA, Dell, AMD, the Linux Foundation, and more. And according to the AI Alliance, the goal is to foster an open community and enabling developers and researchers to accelerate responsible innovation in AI while ensuring scientific rigor, trust, safety, security, diversity, and economic competitiveness. That's a, that's a lot of keywords right there. Uh, <laughs> now, they plan to do this by developing evaluation standards such as benchmarks and tools to vet safety and security, also by advancing the ecosystem of open models with diverse mo mod modalities, modalities, is that how you say that? Well, anyway. Innovate on the AI hardware ecosystem, support global AI skills, uh, develop education content on AI, including to help regulators and public discourse, launch initiatives to encourage open development of AI, and more. 
I think this is great news that these companies are coming together to create this organization because AI is something that is potentially sketchy and having an open approach to it is, I think, the best way. So I'm happy to see this being done. And all these different companies, even, even some of these companies that are you know not necessarily on the best terms to, are still working together to make this happen. So I love that. And if you'd like to learn more, you'll find links in the show notes. This episode of Twill is brought to you by Linbit. Linbit has been keeping digital businesses running for over 20 years. They're the makers of open source products like DRBD, which is high availability software that has been part of the Linux kernel since 2010, and Linstore, industry-leading open source software-defined storage. Linbit has an active presence in the open source community as well because they collaborate with the community to help identify and build new features to their products. Limbit provides enterprise-grade software that runs on a variety of platforms without vendor lock-in, which is really cool because no matter what your OS is and no matter what kind of hardware you want to use, including off-the-shelf hardware, you're good to go with DRBD and Linstore. And also with DRBD and Linstore, you can have high-speed replicated block storage in almost any configuration, whether it's Kubernetes, Apache Cloud, or Open Nebula. There's even DRBD proxy for long-distance replication. Linbit provides really awesome services like DRBD, and DRBD is a really good way to make sure you have good data recovery and backups. And if you ever have like a cluster with multiple nodes and one of those nodes fails, you can have rest assurance that the backup nodes will have the data that you want. So if you're interested in checking out any of the software from Linbit, I highly recommend it. So go to linbit.com to check it out. That's L-I-N-B-I-T.com. The Zorin team have announced their first beta release of Zorin OS 17. Zorin OS 17 is based on Ubuntu 22.04 LTS, and it's interesting because they're using a different version of GNOME that's in the version for Ubuntu. So Ubuntu uses GNOME 42 in 22.04, and this version of Zorin OS 17 will be using GNOME 43. Now, Zorin OS is a distribution aimed at making Linux more user-friendly to beginners, and they do that very well. It looks really nice. The experience overall is a very interesting approach, and there's a lot of cool benefits and, you know, basically conveniences for the user. So I am really happy about that in terms of them upgrading their version. It is kind of long in the terms of how long it's been since 22.04 has come out. So hopefully they can speed up that process, but I do think Zorin OS is a really good option for those who are switching to Linux and are looking for something that is very beginner friendly. Now, Zorin OS ships with a custom version of GNOME designed to be more like Windows, which is why it's more friendly to beginners. And it has a layout switcher with as many more different types of layouts if you wanna try other things, like they have a Mac version. And they also have Zorin Connect, which is allowing you to sync your desktop with your phone based on KDE Connect and those kinds of things. So I really do like Zorin OS, uh, but let's talk about the new release. And this is a big one. So first of all, there's a lot of improvements to the universal search. There's also been some improvements for uh, the way the workspace is working, or that the, the horizontal workspaces like they did for the transition to GNOME 40. Uh, Zorin does it different with a spatial workspace system, which is pretty cool because it gives like a 3D cube effect to your workspaces. It also has a special alt tab effect included in that. 
And they've also refreshed the software store coming from the upgrade from GNOME Software 3.38 to GNOME 43 or the GNOME Software 43. Uh, also performance optimizations across the board for basically everything from the kernel to the desktop environment and all of that, which is really nice. There's a new advanced window tiling system uh, coming from a fork of the wind tile extension uh, that Ubuntu ships as well as many upgrades from the GNOME 3.38 to the GNOME 43 transition, which is a lot of stuff because this is a big difference between the, like even just GNOME 3.38 to GNOME 40 is a huge difference. So going from that to GNOME 43, there's a lot of stuff like the redesigned quick setting system, adjustable power modes, new screenshot and screencasting experience, redesigned uh, volume display overlay, and so much more. Also, there's new desktop layouts coming soon, which is the including GNOME 2, like the old version of GNOME before GNOME 3 came out, and also Chrome OS. And there's also a new theme that is compatible with GTK 4 and LibEdWeta. So there's a lot of cool stuff coming with this next release of Zorn OS. And if you can't wait for that, you can check out the beta of Zorn OS 17 right now. You'll find more information about this in the show notes. The NixOS project have announced the latest release with NixOS 23.11. NixOS is a really interesting distribution because it's not like your traditional Trist distribution. It's very different and it's very cool, but it's also not for the beginner type of user. It works by generating reproducible distribution based off Nix config files. And it does, so it does have a learning curve, but it removes basically uh, package breakages. It allows for rollbacks and a lot of cool stuff. Now, this is important because it's very cool but it's also not made for the average user. So keep that in mind. If you do want to try it out, there is a big learning curve. Now, this is this update is mainly from the packages of like GNOME 45. For example, there's a new image viewer. There's a new camera app. They're doing some changes like removing GNOME photos, which is what GNOME did. Also, there's a Wi-Fi 6 support uh, and many, many more things. But also in addition to that, They've added support for sudo rs, which is an implementation of sudo written in Rust. They also added some new services like a river Wayland compositor, Wayfire Wayland compositor, vert manager tool for QEMU, and many, many more. If you'd like to learn more about the latest release of NixOS or just NixOS in general, you'll find links in the show notes. Last week, we talked about how Red Hat is saying bye-bye to Xorg by switching to Wayland by default in RHEL 10. Now, this week, we're talking about Red Hat again because they've announced some stuff that's very important because a lot of people were worried about this news and still are and maybe even still should be because it's worrying about whether or not Wayland is ready to go and make this decision. But it is also important to note that this decision needs to be made regardless because at some point, Xorg needs to be replaced and Wayland is the thing that we're doing it with. So it's inevitable at some point. So it just matters about when we do it. And this is kind of uh, worrying for some people, but also X Wayland is a compatibility layer to make sure stuff from X still works in Wayland, but it's also not necessarily ready there either. But that's why I'm talking about it this week because Red Hat has been putting a lot of work into improving the compatibility with X Wayland. And one of the things that they've been doing is super interesting. So they've been putting some work into new X Wayland helpers like X Wayland run, which can spawn an X11 client within its own dedicated X Wayland rootful instance. Now, what does that mean in you know normal people speaking terms? Well, that means <laughs> it allows you to run a fully nested X11 desktop inside of Wayland. There's even demos of using uh, X, uh, XFCE and Motif running on it, which is really cool. 
And they've also been doing stuff with uh, Wayland or WL headless-run, which allows you to run a headless Wayland client on a set of, he of headless Wayland compositors. This is useful for computers that need Wayland for some sort of reason without displays, which is very cool. Also, XWFB-run allows you to run a headless X11 client through Wayland. So there's a lot of cool stuff being built from, from Red Hat with the ExaWayland uh, compatibility stuff. So I'm really happy to see that. It shows that Red Hat is committed to making Wayland ready for when Rail 10 comes out. So I'm very happy to see that. And if you'd like to learn more about this information, you'll find links in the show notes. Let's talk about 23andMe. So this is an interesting company because they have a service where you take your, a sample of your DNA, send it off to them. They compare it to their database and find your ancestry and people you might be related to and that sort of thing, which is interesting overall. But at the same time, I've always felt a little sketchy because I'm sending a company my DNA. What are they going to do with that? What are they going to do with the actual sample? Like I just feel kind of weird about that. So I never did it myself. But there's also a new reason to be cautious about it, and that is hackers, because 23andMe was hacked, and they were able to access 14,000 accounts on the 23andMe service in this data breach. Now, it gets a little worse, because 14,000 doesn't sound like a big deal, but it does become a big deal, and I'll show you why. But out of this 0.1% of the user base, this breach allowed hackers to access profile information, ancestry information, and... DNA relatives information. This meant that the 14,000 hacked accounts leaked data for 6.9 million people. That's nearly half of 23andMe's 14 million customers. And this is only weeks after 23andMe had a different breach in October. The October breach affected was over 300 terabytes of data. We don't know exactly how many people were in that, but I suspect quite a lot. So this is just a sign that if you are wondering or you're thinking about whether or not you should use this kind of service, maybe hold off on that. Or you could find another service that is in the medical field that has to deal with HIPAA and HIPAA compliance. I don't know if 23andMe does or not. I don't know. But I would say check to make sure they do. That way there's a more, uh, more likelihood that your data will be safe. Uh, so those cost a lot more, I would assume. But... Uh, that's just one way I would consider doing it if I were going to consider doing it. But I'm okay with not knowing. I mean, the people who came before me, all my ancestors, they didn't, they ancestors didn't know. So why do I need to know? So, <laughs> but anyway, if you'd like to learn more about this particular topic, you'll find links in the show notes. But let's not end the show on a negative note. Let's do a positive thing, and that is the market share for Linux is now surging on Steam. So there's been basically nearly 2% of the entire market share of Steam is now Linux. That might not seem like a lot, but when you have dozens and dozens of millions, that becomes a lot at 2%. So this is really cool. And this is actually a jump of uh, basically half a point or half a percent to from last month, which is just insane, the amount of, amount of jump in just a month. So that's awesome. There are also several reasons why this could have happened. For example, the register says that one of the reasons is that Steam dropped support for macOS Mojave. This is important because Mojave was the last version of macOS to support 32-bit apps. And well, this is a problem because Steam and a lot of the games on Steam are 32-bit Actually, Steam supports both, but a lot of stuff and a lot of games are 32-bit only, which is an issue. So a lot of people dropped off there. 
Another thing is that Pharonix pointed out is that Linux lost some market share due to a rise of Windows 10 Steam users in China, but there seems to be a reversal of that with the simplified Chinese as a language falling off 20%. But whatever reason it is, it's really cool because this is a big jump for Linux and very quickly, in fact, and this is also probably related to the Steam Deck, almost guaranteed related to the Steam Deck. Uh, but I just wanted to say, like, this is really cool, and I'm very excited about this momentum building for Linux gaming because gaming on Linux has always been something I really wanted to grow. And over the past 10 years, it's just been skyrocketing, and I am very excited about that, especially thanks to Valve and the Steam Deck and Proton and all of that stuff. So, yes, let's end on that instead of the previous topic. If you'd like to learn more about this information, you'll find links in the show notes. Thanks for watching this episode of This Week in Linux. If you like what I do here on this show and want to be kept up to date with what's going on in the Linux world, then be sure to subscribe. And of course, remember to like that smash button. If you'd like to support the show and the Tux Digital Network, then be consider becoming a patron by going to tuxdigital.com slash membership, where you can get a bunch of cool perks like access to patron-only sections of our Discord server and much, much more. You can also support the show by ordering the Linux is Everywhere t-shirt or the This Week in Linux shirt at tuxdigital.com slash store. Plus, while you're there, check out all the other cool stuff we have like hats, mugs, hoodies, stickers, and so much more at tuxdigital.com slash store. I'll see you next time for another episode of Your Source for Linux Canoes. Thanks again for watching. I'm Michael Tunnell, and I hope you're doing swell. Be sure to ring that notification bell. And until next time, I bid you farewell.